This episode of CRST the podcast is sponsored by Alcon Global Medical Affairs. Welcome to the IOP during cataract surgery roundtable. We're a diverse group of anterior segment surgeons who've come together to discuss what motivates us each to consider and then perform cataract surgery at a physiologic IOP. This is a topic that's not been prioritized previously and we feel all passionately that it's something we need to be talking about more and more. I'd like each of the panelists to introduce themselves, please. Jerry? Sure, of course, David. My name is Jerry Hu. I'm in private practice in Fort Worth, Texas. The scope of my practice include cataract, mix, cornea, and the refractive surgery. And my name is Zaina Almataseb, and I'm in private practice in Houston, Texas at Witsit Vision Group, and I'm a cornea, cataract, and refractive specialist. And I'm Arsham Shaybani. I am at Washington University in St. Louis. I do anterior segment and glaucoma. And I'm David Lubeck. I have a cataract, cornea refractive, and advanced anterior segment practice in Chicago. After considering how we define IOP during cataract surgery, we'll, we'll discuss the historical basis for physiologic IOP during cataract surgery, the detrimental effect of supraphysiologic IOP, and possible benefits of physiologic IOP during surgery, the evolution of technology that's facilitating physiologic IOP during cataract surgery, the surgeon's experience operating a physiologic IOP, the patient's experience operating a physiologic IOP, and finally, and finally, we'll discuss our individual experiences as surgeons operating the physiologic IOP during cataract surgery. Arshan, as our IOP guru, would you please start the discussion of the IOP in the context of cataract surgery, please? Right, you know, if you look back and you talk about intraocular pressure, it sounds like it's so simple. It's really, pressure's like force over the area, right? And it's the, the pressure of the fluid inside the eye that's pushing against the, the eye wall. And if you look at like your basic stuff, like the Goldman equation, how fast is aqueous being made? what's the outflow facility, and what's the episcleral venous pressure. Cataract surgery is very similar. You have an ingress of fluid and things are moving out. And so you need to balance that. If you don't have a good balance between that, you're gonna raise pressures or lower pressures and that can cause all sorts of issues um, in the eye one way or the other. The concept of phacodynamics was originally brought to all of us by Barry Seibel and his classic text, Phacodynamics. It's had four edition publication and the most recent was 1994. Since then, we really haven't delved into the nuance of phacodynamics, thus the reason that we're here today, and thus the importance of regenerating the discussion about fluidics and the way our systems behave. Uh, Zaina, why did you start your career starting at a supraphysiologic IOP during cataract surgery? Well, I think what's important to, to think about and remember is that it, at that time, the phaco machines that we had, it's really all about safety. So it, it was pretty simple, right? When you irrigate the fluid coming in, you don't want too much fluid coming out and that would shallow the chamber or cause issues and complications and we had surge. I mean, just the machines, we only had gravity. That was the only way to have fluid go through the eye. And so it was necessary to have these really high levels of irrigation because it really was about safety, right? You, you didn't start thinking about worrying about potential complications of having so much pressure in the eye what you worried about is having a posterior capsular tear because there's surge or there's a sudden shallowing, right? So I think, you know, we, that's what we worried about. Zaina, would you please review what is known about the effect of supraphysiologic IOP on the cornea anterior segment and the possible benefits of operating the physiologic IOP? So there's actually a lot of data out there looking at supraphysiologic IOP and how it affects the anterior segment. So let's start with the cornea. 
So first of all, it's been shown that there's an increase in corneal volume at one month. So you have increase in corneal edema when you're operating at higher levels, but also higher central corneal thickness. And the data shows really more of an effect at one day, day four, and seven days. And that's important because we'll start talking about, you know, we're so good at cataract surgery and, you know, our new FACO machines are amazing. But where we're noticing the benefits of this operating at a lower IOP is really that first day mm -hmm. postoperatively. And, and we talk about the importance of that because we're doing a lot more premium cases. So it isn't just about that one month where they end up. It's how much edema that first day when you're looking at these premium cases. Um, there's also a, a study that showed decreased uh, corneal clarity at that first day, which also matters. Um, and then also a higher presence of decimase folds and corneal edema at that first day. And in addition to just how the cornea looks, especially in that first week, um, you have greater anterior segment inflammation um, on day one post-op if you're using higher IOPs. Have you noticed that too, in terms of the clarity of your cornea? I agree. I mean, you look at it um, when we're doing certain cases, you raise the pressure sometimes for tubes as we're testing things, not even just in FACO. You raise the pressure for like 10, 15 seconds, you can start to see the clouding of the cornea. Yeah. I would imagine that's probably not great for the endothelium. Well, speaking of uh, endothelial cell density, there were some studies in the past that didn't show a difference when you're operating at higher levels of IOP versus near physiologic. Uh, but there was a recent study in 2022 that showed um, a lower endothelial cell density when you're operating at a higher IOP at 50 milli milli millimeters of mercury versus a lower near physiologic IOP at 20 millimeters of mercury. And that was shown four days and at three month follow up. Yeah, I want to echo your experience as well. When I was operating with a bottle height of 115, uh, that really translates to uh, uh, an LP level of 85 millimeter mercury, and that's quadruple the uh, upper limit of the normal LP range. Uh, it was routine actually to see two plus corneal edema or even three plus corneal edema on one day post-op patients. And that edema took a while, took a week or two to resolve. Mm -hmm. Now that's not simply a vanity issue, it's not a feel-good issue. Arshan, how about the effect of superphysiologic LP on the posterior segment? You know, the posterior segment depends on how you want to look at it. I mean, we can talk about optic nerve, which uh, there's not a lot of great data on what that's doing to the optic nerve in the long run. Um, certainly, we've seen patients, glaucoma patients having cataract surgery that have had snuff or unexplained vision loss after cataract that's been routine. Could be a pressure-related thing, could be something else. But if you look at uh, studies that are doing just angiography, so OCT angio, once you get pressures above like 60s, you can actually have quite a bit of capillary dropout in the macula um, to the point where on the diastolic side of their blood pressure as they measure it, you lose perfusion completely sometimes. Um, now that correlates with macular thickness, so if you have pressures that are a little bit higher than, than normal, uh, you do have macular thickness that kind of sits around a little bit longer compared to patients that had more uh, physiologic IOPs during the surgery. And I think we've all seen patients where everything else looks so good. Why is your vision not quite 20-20, right? I agree with you, Ashen. You just reminded me that as LASIK surgeons, we see this phenomenon all the time. Every time when we uh, create LASIK flaps, when we apply the LASIK suction ring to patients' eyes, what do we tell the patients? Well, you're gonna lose your vision. The vision will go black for a couple of minutes. 
Now just imagine, you know, the LASIK suction ring increases the LP level to high 50s, maybe low 60s, and then we're inducing a very similar rise in LP level in cataract surgery, but on a much larger scale and uh, for a longer duration. The evolution of FACO technology provided the foundation for us to rethink IOP during cataract surgery. Each successive generation of systems lessened the need for superphysiologic IOP. Neither the surgeon community or industry really prioritized the discussion about lowering IOP during cataract surgery. I'd like to go to the dark ages of FACO emulsification. <laughs> so pre-2003, uh, we were using only longitudinal FACO, which, as you know, cores the nucleus, and as it does so, it creates blocks of chunks of nucleus which into the tip. We were also using flared tips. The 1.1 Kelman was my favorite, probably Jerry, as was yours. Great cutting efficiency, but the tapering would cause clogging. Mm -hmm. To overcome the clogging, we'd have to increase our flow and vacuum rates. And because incisions and sleeves weren't well matched, there was a lot of fluid egress, a perfect storm of, of needing extremely high infusion pressure to maintain chamber stability. Well, I agree with you, David. Uh, now that you mentioned this, uh, it brought back bad memories. Uh, I trained in the late 1990s on the legacy system. And when I began my practice in 2003, uh, Infinity just came out. With the legacy and the Infinity systems, as well as uh, many other uh, systems that are based on gravity-pushed uh, 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 fluid infusion, uh, it wasn't uncommon to require a second bottle of BSS. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. In long cases, complex cases. And uh, nowadays, you know, in comparison, we routinely use less than 50 cc's uh, of BSS in most cases, and oftentimes as little as 20 cc's. Now, the more fluid we push through the anterior chamber, just like the more ultrasound energy we consume, the more exogenous environmental factors we expose our corneal endothelial cells to. So passive fluidics systems are not uh, cornea friendly by any means. You've brought us to the first pivotal point in the evolution of technology for low physiologic IOP during cataract surgery. Infinity brought a reduced incision size to 2.2 to 2.4 with well-matched blades and sleeves so that fluid egress was eliminated from the primary incision. Chambers became more stable. Then came torsional ultrasound in 2018. What that did, interestingly, was by having a, a torsional motion instead of a, a longitudinal, uh, it shaved nucleus, didn't create plugs of it, so the plugging decreased. With that, we decreased the likelihood of surge and we improved chamber stability, but we did not, as a community, start talking about lowering our bottle heights. Centurion 2013, of course, further improvements in fluidics and the balance tip, which is no longer flared. All of the obstacles all of the issues which led to surge have been eliminated. We were operating more efficiently, higher flow rates, higher vacuum, decreased OR time, decreased fluid use, but still the majority were sticking to their bottle height or IOP of between 50 to 60 IOP, which translates to a bottle height of between 80 and 110. Mm -hmm. Let's go clinical. As surgeons, we would like to share our experiences as we chose our strategies to transition to lower IOP during cataract surgery. Uh, Jerry, why don't you take us through your growing as a surgeon? Sure, thank you, David. Uh, when we lower the IOP target in the operating environment, the first question that comes to mind is, will that make the anterior chamber less stable? And will that uh, decrease the efficiency of the surgery? Well, there is this group uh, in Japan headed by Dr. Kalkuban, 
they did a, a very nice study comparing surgeries performed at supraphysiologic level of 50 versus uh, more of a normal physiologic IOP level of 20. They used a very similar vacuum levels and aspiration flow rate, as well as uh, ultrasound power settings. And what they found was that there's essentially no difference in the total surgical time, as well as the utility of ultrasound uh, power as measured by CDE, cumulative dissipated energy. Now that's been my own personal experience as well. It's just nice to see that our experience uh, in real practice is now being echoed by these evidence-based findings in the literature. And, and Jerry, to add to that, I think that's an important point for people who are considering, for example, lowering their IOP, is things are going well for them, right? They're doing great cataract surgery, they're efficient, um, and they, you know, it's, it's a really important study because it tells you you're not gonna lose efficiency, you're only gonna gain the benefits of, for example, less fluid through the eye, uh, which is a really important point. Uh, because otherwise, you know, why would you change something when what you're doing is working? And, and if it is better for the patient, it's definitely an important uh, thing to consider. Exactly. All that is made possible by the active fluidics management system. The question that also begs us to consider is that what if occlusion breaks happen? So there is another study coming out of Japan, headed by Dr. Suzuki. Uh, they did some really great work on pig eyes. Uh, they compared multiple phacal systems um, and they induced uh, occlusion breaks mechanically, uh, intentionally, and uh, see how the, uh, the chamber holds up. And uh, they did the surgery at a, a lower uh, LP level of 30. And what they found was that um, a centurion with active century handpiece actually induced the lowest, the smallest change the lowest variability in the anterior chamber depth, whereas the other systems that are more gravity-based uh, all collapsed or shallowed the chamber to a greater extent. So again, that echoes our own personal experience that uh, we may be talking about safety uh, when we talk about the fluid management systems, but really it's not making our surgeries less efficient, but rather it's making our surgeries more efficient. Now we can uh, push uh, the pedal to the metal, so to speak. We can max our phacal parameters. We can increase our uh, vacuum rate. We can uh, raise our aspiration flow rate, and we can minimize our ultrasound because the fluid is being managed, the chamber is being maintained. And all that is made possible by the active fluidics management system. Uh, when we were relying on gravity to push the fluid through the infusion tube into the anterior chamber, uh, we uh, are subject to one variable. And now we have real-time in vivo sensing of the LP level. So the system dynamically uh, compensates for the egress of fluid. So in fact, the sensor will sense the real IOP level, and if it drops below the target level, uh, the, the pressure plates uh, will compress on the BSS bag, and it can increase the inflow of the BSS into the chamber to maintain the chamber stability. So the system actually does the job for us. We can take the mind off of the IOP or the chamber stability and focus on improved efficiency. We're talking about surge, right? We're talking about the original concept of surge, which is anterochamber instability, call it what you will, but it's a shallowing of the anterochamber or capsular bag or both as nucleus or cortex are being removed. The studies of surge volume show clearly that 
the newest fluidics management systems with sensing and with pressurized infusion have minimized those surge volumes to such a low level that there is really no perceptible change in anterior chamber depth or caps or bag depth as we're going through the routine steps of surgery. Transitioning from superphysiologic IP to physiologic IP during cataract surgery. Fears, obstacles to overcome, what were each of your individual experiences both for yourselves and now teaching, teaching residents and fellows. Zena? Yeah, I can start. Uh, and we do this, you know, in terms of education, working with residents. Um, it, it is important to not just go from what you're doing to a completely different thing in a sudden way. I think the, the most important thing is to really do a gradual shift. Um, and so if we're talking about IOP, it, it's very smart to do it in a steady decline in terms of IOP. So decrease it by five millimeters of mercury, you know, notice the stability, notice the fact that there's no change in efficiency, you know, do a few cases that way, and then sort of drop it a little bit uh, more over time. So I think the key is doing it slow, um, understanding that, you know, the safety and the efficiency should be the same, um, but then just getting comfortable with that idea. Do you recommend any other parameter changes along with decreasing the IOP? No, but I do want to echo what she said earlier. I mean, it is kind of like you get to a point of set it and forget it because the machine just takes over and keeps you stable, uh, I think, probably regardless of where you're at within a certain parameter. I, I, don't know if, I don't know if people are going to notice like a dramatic change. Yeah, I can look back on my own uh, experience of transitioning. Uh, I was exposed to both uh, Centurion and Active Century handpiece maybe a couple of years before the commercial launch uh, through some studies. And, um, uh, and I embraced them right away when they were commercially released. And I started out you know, with the IOP of 85. Mm -hmm. And uh, quickly I noticed that by reducing the IOP, like you said, Zena, uh, five points, 10 points, you don't see any change in the performance. There is no dip, no drop in the performance. The chamber remains stable. And quickly, I was able to come down all the way to 20. That's in a matter of maybe a couple of days. You know, in, a, in several cases, you can simply lower the IOP because you don't see any change. And then I found out that in addition to the IOP uh, variable, you can also change the other parameters, also without noticeable difference in the chamber stability and safety. Um, so I've uh, increased uh, my uh, aspiration flow rate to 56, which is very aggressive. I maxed out my uh, vacuum level, and uh, I now only sparingly engage my fecal power just to break up the pieces from the tip. And so it's really a, a, a fecal assisted high vacuum system. And so, yeah, I mean, all the parameters can be changed, but change one parameter at a time and do it gradually, uh, but surely. And the very soon you'll find that you can uh, improve your efficiency. Um, when I finish my day earlier, um, I have happier staff and a happier wife. Then what I've recommended is to keep your original program and set up a second program in the system for a physiologic IOP so that you can make your changes, start with your original program in that second program, then start taking your parameters down. And I'm, as a general recommendation, I, I say five cases at each change. Mm -hmm. So do five at your first reduction, and then if you're comfortable, series of fives. The ability to have two programs, you can at any point, if you're not sure, just go back and forth. You want to see what it was like with your original and flip to your new, and I think we will all concur that it's likely that you won't really see a difference, but knowing that you have your original settings available 
immediately without a delay. And those, I think, are the essentials. And then lastly, just committing to put fears aside, the fears that we all recognize them, right? recognize the fears, put them in the right place, and then understand that the capabilities of these systems should overcome them. Right, but David, you just mentioned a very, very important uh, point. Uh, we should have different tools uh, for different problems. So in my FACO uh, setting, I have three uh, different profiles. One is for regular cataract with uh, the traditional handpiece, and the one is for regular cataract with the uh, active century handpiece, and the one is for dense cataract. So um, we have, we tailor different settings uh, to uh, encounter different problems. And uh, that has worked really well for us. Yeah, and I think sort of back to the concept of fear, I think it's, it's nice to be comfortable that technology has come a long way. Um, things have changed and, and they've changed a lot in the past five years. Um, and I think that's the key, is that there have been significant improvements and, it, and it's nice to be able to follow with that um, and understand that we're very lucky because going to near physiologic IOP, again, it goes back to what you were talking about. It's not gonna affect your efficiency and it's not uh, gonna create more complications. And that change comes not only from the industry side, but also from the surgeon side. Just like a car uh, performs differently in the hands of different drivers. Um, I have found that even years later, when I've settled in a certain setting, you know, once in a while, you can challenge yourself, you can push the envelope, you can max out uh, certain parameters to further improve efficiency uh, and improve safety. Well, I hope that we all want to continue evolving as surgeons, and we encourage our colleagues to do the same. And part of that evolution is really often rethinking, questioning and rethinking and asking, can we be doing something better than we're doing it? And should we be doing things differently? Well said. I'd like all the panelists to come on how their patients' perspectives have been impacted by these parameter adjustments. You know, I, I, we were talking about this a little bit earlier where um, you can tell, patients can tell when the pressure's up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it feels like a just mashing pressure. Um, that's one aspect of it when they have this transient amaurosis from you compressing their vasculature and lights go dark. That's a very unsettling feeling for some. Um, and then it's the, for me, I think the biggest thing is still the, the, the changes in, in IOP that occur between steps, between irrigations and FACO steps, and that can be very jarring for a patient. And to add to that, I think for me is, it's really the change in definitely having high pressure, but going from normal pressure, and then you insert irrigation, yeah. and then you suddenly have really high pressure. So to decrease sort of that shift of high to low, because I think that causes more issues than just being at a stable, pretty near close pressure. So I think that's one point. But also with a lot of us doing more premium uh, uh, cases, it's really that second day that you come after surgery. You, the way the corneas look um, and sort of the whole experience, especially if it's you know in those premium patients. So that's a big thing. Um, that we're noticing. I want to echo both of your experiences that uh, a lot of my patient uh, feedback is relayed to me uh, through referring or co-managing uh, optometric colleagues. And that's funny that I've been operating at IOP level of 20 for eight years. And uh, right now, occasionally, I would get a call from the co-managing ODs uh, seeing one-day post-ops, and they will see a two-plus corneal edema. 
and honestly, they don't recognize it. Now, yeah. the new graduates, they've never seen them, you know, in my patient population, and even well-established, experienced veterans, you know, they need a refresher now because they see it so infrequently. So that's a testament to how far we have come along. We would all now like to offer our tips, pearls, and advice to our colleagues who would like to operate a physiologic IOP. Along with that, I pose the question, if you were having cataract surgery, what IOP would you like to be used during your procedure? I think we touched on it. I, I would want it to be the lowest possible pressure that still maintained chamber and kept it safe. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The, I would want near physiologic IOP without compromising efficiency and safety. And I think um, that's the key. And really the pearls is uh, take it slow, um, see what we're talking about, and, and try lowering your IOP. If I were to have cataract surgery today, I would demand that my IOP uh, be maintained at around the physiologic level of 20 throughout the entire duration of the case. I likewise would want my surgery done at a near physiologic IOP. Yeah. Tips, uh, one suggestion from each of you to our colleagues. And I, I'm looking at it from like the glaucoma side of things. And I'm sure all of you operate on patients that have glaucoma. They're probably controlled post-tube, trab. Uh, you're talking about 0.95 cups. Why would you want to raise the pressure higher than what you would need at that time? Exactly. One more point. Um, some may ask, uh, by lowering the IOP to a more physiologic level during the surgery, it seems like no big deal. It seems like such a baby step. Uh, you would not be wrong. It is a baby step. That's why I think that you should do it and that everyone can and they should do it. Now, over the course of the last five decades, many such baby steps, they have added up to giant leaps in the advancement of cataract surgery. So it's important that we take this step right now. And to that, I, I encourage all of us, all surgeons, to have a mindset which allows evolution and growth and progress in the way we think and going forward to become better surgeons. If I was having cataract surgery, I would want to have it at near physiologic IOP. And really the main benefit that I would see is the patient comfort. So I want to be comfortable when I'm having cataract surgery. For me, the main benefit of operating at physiologic IOPs is that you don't have to think about changing what you're doing when you have a patient that has complex ocular history, like glaucoma, like a disc at risk, potential NAION issues, or macular ischemia. So if you set it that way for even your routine cases, the ones that are higher risk hopefully have better safety profiles and outcomes. And all those benefits lead to patients who understand and feel that they've had a superior procedure done. And for me, I would, of course, want my surgery done at an IOP at or near physiologic pressure. Cataract surgery performed at a physiologic IOP gives the patient a positive experience and a positive perception of their outcome. Thank you all for sharing your wisdom and experience. Centurion Vision System Important Product Information. Caution. Federal law restricts this device to sell by or on the order of a physician. As part of a properly maintained surgical environment, it is recommended that a backup IOL injector be made available in the event the AutoCert IOL injector handpiece does not perform as expected. Indication. The Centurion Vision System is indicated for emulsification, separation, irrigation, and aspiration of cataracts, residual cortical material, and lens epithelial cells, vitreous aspiration, and cutting associated with anterior vitrectomy, bipolar coagulation, and intraocular lens injection. The AutoCert IOL injector handpiece is intended to deliver qualified Acrosoft intraocular lenses into the eye following cataract removal. 
The AutoCert IOL injector handpiece achieves the functionality of injection of intraocular lenses. The AutoCert IOL injector handpiece is indicated for use with the Acrosoft lenses SN60WF, SN6AD1, SN6AT3 through sn 6 9 as well as approved Acrosoft lenses that are specifically indicated for use with this inserter, as indicated in the approved labeling of those lenses. Warnings. Appropriate use of Centurion Vision System parameters and accessories is important for successful procedures. Use of low vacuum limits, low flow rates, low bottle heights, high power settings, extended power usage, power usage during occlusion conditions, beeping tones, failure to sufficiently aspirate viscoelastic prior to using power, excessively tight incisions, and combinations of the above actions may result in significant temperature increases at incision site and inside the eye and lead to severe thermal eye tissue damage. Good clinical practice dictates the testing for adequate irrigation and aspiration flow prior to entering the eye. Ensure that tubings are not occluded or pinched during any phase of operation. The consumables used in conjunction with Alcon instrument products constitute a complete surgical system. Use of consumables and handpieces other than those manufactured by Alcon may affect system performance and create potential hazards. AE's complications. Inadvertent actuation of prime or tune while a handpiece is in the eye can create a hazardous condition that may result in patient injury. During any ultrasonic procedure, metal particles may result from inadvertent touching of the ultrasonic tip with a second instrument. Another potential source of metal particles resulting from any ultrasonic handpiece may be the result of ultrasonic energy causing microabrasion of the ultrasonic tip. Attention. Refer to the directions for use for the accessories, consumables, and operator's manual for a complete listing of indications, warnings, cautions, and notes.